Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Post mic is good. I'm going to go a little closer. Okay. Can I get you to tell me what you had for breakfast? Uh, what? Oh, I had terrible gluten-free waffles that I bought by accident. They're disgusting. It was a gluten-free accident? <laughs> yeah. They're so gross. So what do you do? You're, you're a freelance writer? Yes. For Usually I say freelance journalist. Freelance journalist. And the editor-in-chief of The Ethnic Isle. What's The Ethnic Isle? Um, it's a blog about race and ethnicity in Toronto. All right. And uh, you write for The Globe and Mail? I write for The Globe. I write for Toronto Life. I write a bit for Today's Parent. Gender politics, uh, yeah. real estate, and race. Yeah. That beat. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Welcome to Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jane Litvinenko, Hubert Golin, Albert Liam, Albert Eisenberg, John Rudy, Chris Benoit, David Harder, Sean, Tom Gleason, Daniel, and Meredith Rogers. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. 
but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. I This wasn't even on the agenda today, and then the the, uh, the arrest happened, and then that that, like, insane press scrum. So I guess we're going to talk about Gian a bit. I get yeah. like, I, it, I, I feel like I don't want to be pushed and pulled by like the news cycle or the temperature of things. And, you know, a couple of days ago, there was this atmosphere of like, maybe I should lay off this because people have had their fill of this for a while. And now it's, you must talk about it because that's all the people are talking about. Right. A- and, uh, you know, we have some license in this and, and it's not even about some organic process. Mm-hmm. It's 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 what the news decides to cover in many cases. I mean, you know, I guess this was reacting to the cops laying the charges and and, and, and uh, doing the arrest. But there's not much to say beyond what everybody saw. No. You know, I guess the charges. I mean, what is the one resist the, the one about choking? Apparently it carries a potential life sentence. That's, I guess, something. Yeah. And that one was of interest to me because, you know, before I, I heard those charges, I was really not sure you know, I have some idea who the three criminal complainants are, and and I was not sure if any of the more serious, I mean, they're all serious, but the more extreme uh, charges that we're aware of, of, of physical harm, I wasn't sure if that was part of mm-hmm. what the cops had. And, and it, you know, it, it looks like it is. Right. Um, you know, so beyond that, I don't have much to say, but, but like, does this mean that I can't talk about the things that I felt were still outstanding and needed to be talked about? Like, you know, does this mean we can't talk about the fact that um, no one at the CBC has taken the slightest bit of responsibility yet. And everyone still right. has the same jobs, except for Arif Narani, who was, who was shuffled around. Nobody at the CBC has answered the question. You know, Gameshi alleged, let's mm-hmm. not forget this, Gameshi alleged on that Facebook post, which has disappeared, which may have been a condition of his settlement with the CBC. Right. On that Facebook post, he alleged that the CBC gave him the option of walking away. Right. After he showed them evidence that he'd brutalized a woman, he says, they said, okay, why don't you say you quit? And, and you know, your dad just passed, so everybody, everybody will buy that. Mm-hmm. And and we won't out you. 
And that's his allegation, and they haven't denied it. And the truth is, though it's possible he's been lying about a lot of stuff, there were lawyers present when that would have happened. So I I, I, th- I find it hard to believe that he was lying about that. So did the CBC executives actually collude with him to cover this whole thing up? Why is no one asking that question, and why have we not heard any answers? That's something that needs to get talked about, and that this circus mm-hmm. at the courthouse I, I should not obscure. And Denise, the other thing that I, I want to talk about, and everyone's very glad to move on from this, but I'm, I, I, I got to loop back on the Lyndon McIntyre thing. And I'm going to briefly, you know, t- go over where I think this just went completely sideways because, mm-hmm. you know, Lyndon, um, he, he, he basically decided to, to use the momentum of his retirement, not to just get a big, like, you know, gold watch, but to make a point about celebrity culture and the toxic work culture at the CBC and about vulnerable workers at the CBC. Right. And, and, you know, he, he, he had this unfortunate sentence where he kind of listed Gomeshi and Mansbridge in the same sentence. And nobody but Mansbridge and those affiliated with him actually took offense. Like nobody reading that would rationally think, oh, obviously Lyndon is saying that Mansbridge too punches women in the face. Nobody right. drew that conclusion. But he misspoke a little bit. And that incited all these responses from, you know, Neil McDonald and Amanda Lang and all these people. And so that's what the press is focused on. And Kelly McParlin at the National Post says that this is a, a nasty bicker fest, a cat fight at the CBC. And Vinay Manon at the Star just dismisses the whole thing. It's trash talking. It's unseemly. He doesn't like the tone, mm-hmm. you know. And, and Doyle uh, at the Globe says that, um, you know, where are the grownups at the CBC? They don't like the tone, but then they don't want to talk about the other part. I mean, the post that he had on Huffington Post was really, really long. So... You know, you don't only need to talk about the part about celebrity. Absolutely. And they focus on the part about celebrity and then say, oh, this is beneath us. Change the tone. Yeah. So let's talk about the part that needs to get talked about. Here, here's what Lyndon McIntyre actually wanted to say. The, the, the role of celebrity, especially in a workplace like the CBC, <clears throat> where the power of celebrity is undiminished, but the, but the, but the vulnerability – of people in the system, you know, the temporary workers, the the the, the, uh, the interns, uh, the junior producers, everybody ambitious and and job security diminishing, the 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 gap that in the hierarchy is opening up. Okay, so I think that this is why Lyndon McIntyre spoke out. This is why he retired, and I want to speak with you about this vulnerable right. worker issue in in a minute because. That is what matters of this. But first, we have to deal with how the press actually reacted to to, to Lyndon McIntyre. What the press decided to pick up on was this kind of like very minor error he made in in putting Mansbridge's name next to Gameshi's in his list of difficult Mm -hmm. egos, celebrity egos. So anyhow, that like created this whole kerfuffle of him getting banned. And then, you know, all these CBC personalities like Neil McDonald speaking out and calling him a horse's ass. And, and then it got turned into like a gossipy story about these CBC personalities um, beating each other up. And the, the, I, the whole point of what Lynn, Lynn was trying to make about vulnerable workers completely got overshadowed. And then they got on this high horse about like, you know, this CBC infighting does the broadcaster no favors. And this is playing into the hands of the CBC's enemies by bringing up this this issue. Well, I mean, they're just extremely emotional there right now. <laughs> yeah. And it's just showing. Um, you know, and it's funny that that part, because you say the vulnerable worker part didn't get noticed, which is true. And I want to talk about that some more. But also the part about um, the fact that the government has been chipping away at what 
was once a very useful public institution for years, decades, um, that also got overshadowed. And, 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 you know, it's one of those chicken and egg things like that we saw with all the Rob Ford coverage is um, who's really creating the soap opera here? You know, like, why are people paying attention to the policy issues? Why are they paying attention to the Iron Sheik at City Hall? And it's like, well, why are you sending 12 reporters there and not to the strategic policy meeting. So um, so whose fault is it really that it turned into gossip and not a discussion about what the CBC could or should be? You make a great point. The media focuses like laser-like focus on this McIntyre versus Mansbridge aspect, leaving out all the important points that were made, and yeah. then says, why are we talking about this McIntyre versus Mansbridge? Like, let's move on. You know, yeah. this isn't doing the CBC any favors. So let's talk about the vulnerable worker yeah. issue. The, the 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 issue that Lyndon brings up is is you know the celebrity culture mm-hmm. uh, when you've got and, and then this disparity between like a contract worker who's there like one month uh, contract at a time and what can they possibly say, right. um, you know and 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 I've written about this that like the CBC like clearly you know there are whispers about um, or that's not whispers it's known that Mansbridge can be a bit of of a dick mm-hmm. to uh, people he works with nothing near what is said about Kameshi and like what is the message to somebody who might have a complaint about Mansbridge if they're willing to throw Lynn and McIntyre under the bus but I, I think that you could even like extrapolate this. Outside of a culture where there are like celebrity personalities and, and, and you brought up some good points to me earlier about in journalism, mm-hmm. what does it mean to have precarious contract workers as journalists? Right. Well, I mean, and I thought you would be interested because in um, Gian Gameshi's Facebook post when he was discounting everything, um, part of what he said is that there is a, a freelance journalist making allegations, right? Who is you? Um, and I've been a freelance journalist for the better part of a decade. And it's not that I dislike being a freelancer, but as it's getting harder to make a living, um, it's also getting harder as a freelancer to do important stories, investigative stories, deeper dig stories um, for a number of reasons. And so one of the reasons I assume that you went, um, you decided to collaborate with The Star is because we we don't have lawyers, you know, and we could get lawyers, but they're quite expensive. Um, and so there's a freelancer in BC, um, I guess her name was Laura Robertson, Robinson. Laura Robinson. Um, and she wrote a story for the Georgia Strait. Um, and got hit with a libel suit, and I think it almost bankrupted her, if if that's right. I believe so. And it's worth noting that uh, the libel suit, which looks like, you know, w- we will see if it turns out to be a baseless mm-hmm. uh, libel suit that's unwinnable but is just there as a slap suit. It was originally filed against the Georgia Strait, who she wrote for, and Robinson. And then it, the, the charges against the uh, the suit against the Strait was dropped. Right. And they went right after the freelancer. And the Georgia Strait wouldn't protect her and said, oh, this is a freelancer. We don't protect our freelancers. Yep. Which, to me, calls into question the very, like, purpose of having a masthead. And, and they even impugned her journalism and said that she didn't do her homework. Well, then why did you publish it? Well, because the new Toronto Star contract does not, new, I think it's about two years old now, um, does not cover freelancers for lawsuits and libel. So I think on the part of the Star, that's, as you say, not really great journalism, let alone business practices. Um, and then as more and more journalism in this country is done by freelance workers or contract workers. It really just means a lot of stories are going to slide because nobody nobody has the ability to actually chase them. And, and there was, you know, a minor news story that you let slide that you might have otherwise pursued if you'd been on staff somewhere. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, I was one of a million, you know— I, 
every single Toronto journalist was gossiping because everyone got this tip that Rob Ford had done cocaine on St. Patrick's Day at um, the beer market or the, is it the beer market? On the yeah, I think so. Yeah. I remember talking to you about it when yeah. it was like all in the rumor stage. Um, and so, you know, I'm not even saying that I would have done nearly as good a job as Robin Doolittle and Kevin Donovan did at the star, but I went down to the beer market and I was poking around and I talked to the bouncers, but it just, you know, it was just this giant story. I have to hustle to make my livelihood on a week-to-week basis. And I didn't, you know, I had friends and I have lawyer friends to bounce things off of, but I didn't have an institution behind me to to just help me build that story. And so if we're getting to a point where more and more, especially outside of Toronto, stories are done by freelancers and contract workers, what stories like that are just going to disappear? Because someone poked around and it wasn't immediately obvious. Yeah, I mean, I did have a good experience, I should say, when I wrote for Toronto Life about the trial of Byron Sunny, who was um, jailed after the G20 for hacker type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were sort of going around a publication ban for me to do my story. And I said to my editor, you know, I really need you to revamp this contract that's not just about libel, but publication bans. And they were really great about it. And I felt really secure um, that everyone cared that I wasn't going to get put on the hook for it. So, um, I mean, maybe that's because it's a magazine and magazines have traditionally worked with freelancers, whereas newspapers are moving from a mo- or the CBC, I guess, um, they're moving from a model where it was mostly staff to a model where it is more and more freelancers. And so they, I don't know, they're testing what they can get away with, I guess. While we're talking about publication bans. You probably know the name of the victim. The victim's name is well known. Even without saying her unique name, you know the 17-year-old girl. Teenage girl from Nova Scotia who died after a suicide attempt last year. Before this spring, I would have been able to say this girl's name on the radio. And now we're not allowed to say your daughter's name on this broadcast under the publication ban. And if we do, we have to cut it out. Right. Do you want to say her name right now anyway? Yeah, of course. Uh, Is her name. This is just like... It's like we keep finding new ways to disappoint Retea Parsons. Like it, it just every institution fails her and fails her and, and posthumously fails her. It's just sickening. And now, and now we're at this place where this law mm-hmm. that's supposed to be for the benefit of of uh, you know young people. It is is preventing us from saying. Well, I guess that's an intersection um, of two parts of the criminal code because there's the criminal code which um, keeps sexual assault victims anonymous, or maybe three parts actually. So, sexual assault victims are anonymous, um, youth accused are anonymous, yeah, and then also um, anyone who's said to be the victim in a child pornography case. Um, so it's sort of an intersection of all of those because there's also Rennell Harper in Winnipeg who's 16 um, and she was sexually assaulted and her parents decided to release her name. Um, and that was in mid-November and they were able to, but I guess the judge in, in the Retea Parsons case um, was not able to because of the child pornography provision, not because of the sexual assault provision. That's my understanding. So that's it. It's not about the offenders. It's about the child pornography I provision. I believe so. And the judge said, this doesn't make any sense, but I have to, I have yes. to do this anyhow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm taking uh, a, a risk here and, and uh, you know, uh, we don't have mm-hmm. any contracts drawn up, so I'll say <laughs> it on the show. I, I'll, I'll, I will cover you in the case of any repercussion. Um, 
you know, and it's it's we're, we're not the first because the Chronicle Herald, I think, needs to be applauded for saying you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows her name. American media is reporting her name. Her name is mm-hmm. Rita Parsons, and the parents are saying, "Please use her name." They're yeah. trying to turn something positive out of uh, the, this horror that they've lived through. Um, there are like there are real constraints to mm-hmm. speech in Canada that that don't make a lot of sense in, in in many cases, and this is one of them. Well, and especially because we all know her name, and it's the only reason that charges were brought is because there was this community uproar and this sort of anonymous online, anonymous with a capital A uproar that sort of forced these child pornography charges. I mean, there haven't been any assault charges. Um, And so now the criminal code sort of retroactively is trying to protect her when no one was doing anything until her name became such a big deal. Um, And and the publication ban is also, um, I have a column coming out about this tomorrow in The Globe, but it's, it's really impeding a journalist's ability to tell a story because there are people wearing T-shirts with her name in court um, and that can't be in the news. And it's just, it seems a little ridiculous. And the Chronicle Herald, because they're in that community, and this is the thing too, is that everyone in that community not only knows her name, but knows the name of the boys, yeah. which I don't know. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if you do. Um, and so to not say any of their names seems a bit silly when everyone's just talking about it, but especially hers when she is infamous, you know, all across North America. It just, it, it was a really smart decision. It looks like there may be charges laid, but I looked into this a bit. And so the max um, financial penalty is $5,000. And then the, the, there's also a chance of six months in prison. And I was talking to my husband about this last night, and I was like, oh, I'm going on Jesse's show tomorrow, and I think we're going to say Retea Parsons, and what do you think? And he's like, well, you know, are they really going to send you to jail when they haven't sent the rapists to jail? And uh, yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's an absurd situation where— it's our job in the media to cover the news and and anybody on – and the cops have decided not to lay charges in the case of people who have been saying her name on social media. Right. You know, anybody in that community, anybody on social media can actually speak more truth and, and specifically than, mm. than, you know, the established media can. That is a topsy-turvy, bizarro situation. But it's still like – there is like a, f- a fascinating aspect to this that like uh, I've yet to read the definitive think piece on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and by the way, the column that you mentioned is, is uh, by the time this is up, people can go check it out uh, mm-hmm. at the Globe site. So, you know, the, the the focus on names and the fact that anonymous plays such a big role right. is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting to me that, you know, this gets held up as like this is the cyberbully case and this is about the, you know, the horrors of. Uh, the online world and how cruel adolescents mm-hmm. can be to each other. W- whereas I think that, the, that certainly the adult world, the institutions that had a chance to do something about this obviously share a big part of the blame. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to look at why this finally got addressed because no charges were originally laid and the authorities didn't give a shit about her uh, or, or, you know, about the crimes, um, the alleged crimes, it was social media that forced their hand. Really? It was anonymous and it was a, an online uproar that made this into the issue that it is and, mm-hmm. and, and forced the system to react. Right. Did you want to talk about Ferguson today? We're going to, yeah. <laughs> Here well, we go. Because, I mean, you know, the the uh, the DA criticizing social media over there and, and saying that that was the problem, 
that social media outrage and coverage of what had happened to Michael Brown was the problem. Um, yeah. Again, it's like nothing would have happened. Nothing would have happened at all. Not that anything really did happen in the end, but nothing would have happened without social media and and citizen outrage. It's become this weird shorthand for mm-hmm. dismissing things, mm-hmm. you know, to say like, well, I, I won't be tried by Twitter, you know, and right. like, I'm not going to pay attention to what's happening in the Twitter sphere, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. you just, you can kind of, um, I mean, you can dismiss things without actually getting into the substance of them just based on the, I guess, brand identity of silliness or gossip that it's associated with, you know, that social media is still in establishment circles. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That still works, I guess. I guess. I mean, does it work? I guess maybe it works uh, among a different audience than you and I are in or yeah. have. Yeah. It, it works well enough that people still do it, I guess. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, from our perspective, what we need to talk about when it comes to Ferguson, the Canadian coverage. Tonight's rally didn't come without controversy over to Anna Vlahos with the organizers' Facebook faux pas. Roger, today's demonstration was organized mainly through social media, and one post asking white protesters not to speak and to stick to the background did ruffle some feathers. You know, I, like, I've been in story meetings where there's some big American story, and, and the question is, what's the Canadian take on this? What's the Canadian angle? And this is a pretty sad excuse for a Canadian angle, and this was mm-hmm. covered. This was the, you know, uh, the CP story, and the Globe picked it up, that the Canadian... Ferguson protest was mm-hmm. controversial because they asked white people, the organizers asked white people to take a bit of a backseat. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was anyone upset about that? This is that how you was ma- actually at the protest? This is how you manufacture a, a news story, okay? <laughs> and this is funny because it comes with the same derision of social media that, that mainstream media has. But somebody in the comment thread, I mean, okay, right. so, so one, of the, one of the protest organizers said, you know, something to the effect of like, you know, like, thanks for the support, white people, but maybe don't jump in front of a camera mm-hmm. in, a, in a in a protest about like race relations and racism, mm-hmm. which sounds reasonable to me. And somebody said, oh, this is segregation. Mm-hmm. So, oh, now we can say that there was conflict and controversy among the protesters who felt that there was racism. Like it's this aha, mm-hmm. even the protesters have ra- <laughs> racial issues. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and like you're, you're, you're doing a news report based on that somebody in a thread on Facebook got into a little bit of a fight. Right. And why would you do, I mean, everyone's so critical of covering what's happening on Twitter and covering what's happening on Facebook. And here are hundreds of people in real life standing on University Avenue. So why are we talking about someone on Facebook that was upset? Yeah. I mean, I, who knows? Who knows? Probably because protests are all, and I don't even like to call them protests, especially what happened on University Avenue. I like to call it a demonstration. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, what exactly are we protesting? Like we're demonstrating, or I wasn't there, but these people are demonstrating, you know. That they give a shit about what's happening in Ferguson yeah. and the miscarriage of justice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ultimately, they're probably just sort of sad. And what are you going to say? People were sad about a miscarriage of justice. And I guess that's not as grabby a story as like white people up in arms. Yeah. I mean, I think the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, not that there isn't racism in Canada, Mm -hmm. but there is no Canadian angle on on the Ferguson story, but the Canadians give a damn about it. Yeah. You know, and and that this is, uh, 
you know, it's kind of a sad exercise in in trying to to pluck one out. But it's also a pre-scripted response. I mean, you know, and beyond just this Canadian take of like, oh, white people not welcome, you could pre-script everything that has happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it's so predictable. Like, and then what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the level of rioting and violence. And, and then we're going to, yeah, the cops shouldn't have killed that guy, but like you also shouldn't break windows of stores. So mm-hmm. let's move on. Yeah. And I could have told you that news story before any of this happened. Oh, totally. And I mean, actually CBC's coverage and they have a reporter down there and it was, <sighs> They interviewed an awful lot of white residents of Ferguson, um, not understanding why their city or was being smashed, you know, and yeah, and 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 the lead in this morning was like there wasn't a lot of violence, but there was some. And then talking to yeah. a guy that saw this violence was like, well, what about just stopping at there wasn't a lot of violence, like yeah. and and moving. You know what I didn't hear on CBC this morning, even though they looped it over and over, is um, that there still might be federal charges. That you know the situation is not over. Um, no, I just heard there wasn't a lot of violence, but there was some. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's not just a script for like racially charged stuff. It's it's like any kind of mass demonstration or protest. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody tips over a car, if somebody breaks a window, then that is used to sort of discredit whatever all these people are are taking to the streets about. Mm-hmm. And knowing what we know about like. You know, the cops do place agent yep. provocateurs within protesters to do shit Absolutely. like that. So it's it's like, you know, I, I, it would be an interesting exercise to try to actually like write that news story a week earlier and see how much of it you'd actually have to change. That was Canada Land Shortcuts. Uh, my co-host today is Denise Balkasun. Denise, where can people reach you? I'm on Twitter at Balkasun, which is B-A-L-K-I-S-S-O-O-N. I'm Jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read all your email. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. The show's website is canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This show is produced by myself and Andrew Norton. And the next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. If you like this show... Support it. Sorry, Andrew. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.